everyone. Good to see all of you here in church. Welcome to those of you joining us online, no matter where you are. We absolutely love that this is your church. But we are in the third and final week of a series called Dangerous Prayers. And I've absolutely loved this series because oftentimes we'll pray things like, Dear God, keep me safe. Help my family, bless my kids. Nothing wrong with those prayers, but we've been challenged to pray more specifically the last couple of weeks. The two prayers that we've been challenged to pray are search me and change me. To ask God to search your heart and change you is not easy. In fact, it's dangerous and requires a lot of courage. But I think today's prayer is perhaps the most dangerous of all, send me. Because when God answers this prayer, he will send you to people, to places, or to do things that might make you uncomfortable. In case you weren't aware, I'm not much of an outdoorsman. I've gone fishing one time in my life. I'm not a hunter, unless I'm hunting for a good sale. Never shot a real gun. I don't enjoy camping unless it's glamping, which is camping in a cabin with centralized air and a Wi-Fi signal. But for the last six years, my friend Ray Zafke, who's on staff here at Eagle Brook, he's invited me to go to the Boundary Waters. And for the last six years, I've said, Ray, no. I don't want to do that. In fact, I don't ever, ever want to go to the Boundary Waters. Just stop asking me. Now, some of you might be wondering how I ever got a job here with Pastor Bob at the helm. I don't know. I don't think he knew this. <laughs> but this last spring, Ray took a different approach. Rather than asking me, because he already knew what my answer was going to be, he went to my wife, Emily, and asked her if I wanted to go. Let me just rephrase that for a second. He went to Emily, he told her that I was going, he cleared the dates with her and then planned the trip. Now Emily has always been good for me this way. She's always said, yes, go, get out of the house, go golfing, go on that trip. And I'm usually the one that says, I'd much rather stay home and read under my Afghan by the fire. <laughs> Not sure what that says about me, but she's really good for me that way. Well anyway, somehow against all my desires, Ray gathered me plus two others, Alex Grauman, who's our high school teaching pastor here, and Dave Holvig, who's a worship leader. And we headed out for four days in the Boundary Waters. Now, Dave, he thinks he's an outdoorsman, but he's a hipster musician, so he wasn't good for much. And Alex, is, he's as big of a weenie as I am, so he didn't want to go either. <laughs> Pretty picture, right? But there we were in August. Four days of gear stuffed into a dirty backpack, sleeping a first night at a place called Hungry Jack Outfitters, eating a pre-Boundary Waters meal at some sort of gas station turned restaurant, canoeing way too far, portaging way too far, and setting up a camp that was way too complicated. Ray did everything in his power to make this an easy and unforgettable trip for us. I mean, he provided all the gear, he cleaned the campsite constantly, he cooked all the meals, and no kidding, he even packed our bags for all three of us like we were five-year-olds. Oh, boy. <laughs> he would occasionally, you know, he would ask us to do things. You know, he'd say, can someone clean this pot? Can someone take the, the garbage and hang it up in a tree so the bears don't get it? Bears? No one said anything about bears here, okay? I don't know what you're talking about with bears. I'm not going to hang that garbage. Just hang me up in that tree, okay? He even asked us to bring snacks. That's one of the few things he asked us to bring, but turns out we couldn't handle that. No Twizzlers, trail mix, nothing. But Dave tried to fish. Alex sat there in a chair most of the time with a weird bug hat on, and I, I did my best to enjoy it and embrace the experience, except they made me lay in this hammock was, that was way too small for me most of the time. Look at this view, and then look at the hammock that I had to lay in. That's like what they gave me. How am I supposed to enjoy myself? So I didn't love it. 
But in the end, even telling these stories, thinking about it, the friendship, the laughter, the conversation, the experience with these three great guys, it stretched me and challenged me in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. And you know, something similar happens when we pray this dangerous prayer. See, God may ask us to do something or to go somewhere that stretches us outside of our comfort zone. He may move you, lead you, or send you to a place or to a situation that you would have never gone on your own. Today's prayer is, here I am, send me. Not him, not her, not those other people, but me. That's what makes it such a dangerous prayer. See, the answer to this prayer is you. You are God's plan A. You are the one that God wants to send. It's gonna take a lot of courage to pray this prayer, though. I I gotta be honest. I I used to be afraid to pray this prayer because I thought God was going to ask me to move to a remote village in Africa and use a, a, a toilet like the one I had to use in the Boundary Waters for the rest of my life. Said he asked me to become a pastor, which seems just as crazy. And while God may send some of you to Africa, he may ask a few of you to become a pastor. See, more often than not, I find that God sends us right back to the very place he's already put us, to the people already in your life, the work you already work at, the family you already live with, and the circle of influence that God has already given you. That's what happens to a man named Isaiah in the Bible. Isaiah was a prophet, someone who spoke on behalf of God. He was born about 700 years before Jesus was born, but Isaiah lived his life reminding people of God's commands and confronting their disobedience. He even predicted and prophesied that a Messiah would be born to save people from their sins. Isaiah was a bold and courageous leader, one of the heroes of our faith and an author of scripture, and he played this crucial role in history because he had the courage to pray, send me. And with that as a backdrop, I wanna look at the three requirements to praying this dangerous prayer. And the first, this prayer begins because of an encounter with God, an encounter with God. Isaiah begins by describing this encounter and this vision he's had of God. He says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Next verse, you know, he's starting to see these angelic beings called seraphim worshiping God and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory and their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Next time you feel that bass pumping through your chest, shaking the building and the haze, filling up the worship spaces at Eagle Brook. We're just being biblical here. (laughs) But have you ever had a moment where you felt like you were in the presence of of something awesome, something holy, something that, that felt far bigger than yourself? I mean, even if you don't believe in God, have you ever had a moment sitting in a deer stand or maybe camping in the Boundary Waters where you, you felt like you just knew something or someone exists out there that's far greater than you? Or maybe you've had a moment like that in church. Uh, maybe it was during worship, during the message where it felt like God was speaking directly to you, like you were the only person in the room. 
See, that's the moment that Isaiah is having. He is encountering God. He's got this overwhelming sense of God's power and presence. Man, I'll never forget the first time that I can remember encountering God. I was in fifth grade. A little red-haired kid named Evan Kirkpatrick, who was a bitter rival of mine in YMCA basketball at the time. He called me up on the phone to invite me to a church camp at Mayfield Lake with Calvary Church. And that week at camp was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life up until that point. 300 students worshiping together, listening to an inspiring teacher, exploring what it meant to follow Jesus. And that week as a fifth grader, I had a real profound and impactful encounter with God. I made a decision to devote my life to Jesus for the rest of my life. Because of that encounter, I went back home as a sixth grader and I started a Bible study for 20 of my middle school friends. For two years, these 20 middle school boys met every month at my house to study the Bible together. In between games of capture the flag, incessant wrestling, changing bodies, weird smells, we couldn't always articulate ourselves. These middle school boys, many of them became followers of Jesus. And then in high school, I had another encounter with God at a worship service in Florida of all places. Because of that encounter with God in Florida, I went back home to the state of Washington where I lived and committed to lead the youth group that I was a part of and reach friends who were far from God. That little youth group went from a dozen or so people to over 100 by the time high school was over. And then in college, I spent the first two years running away from God. But through a college-age ministry group, God got my attention again. And he convicted me of my disobedience. So for the rest of college, I committed to lead our church's worship team. And I started a group for my non-Christian friends that I called Life Sessions. I fed them dinner if they agreed to use the, start, uh, the Bible as a starting point to talk about life. Many of those friends got their first and only exposure to Jesus. Today, I'm standing up here as a result of several encounters over the last several years, the most memorable Prague, 2008 of all places. I'm sitting in a little cafe reading my Bible, Mark chapter four, where I feel like God is speaking to me through, through thoughts and these inner promptings through his word to enter into a full-time ministry, a profound encounter with God. Leadership Summit 2011, through an inspiring teacher, teachers asking, are you in? I said, I'm all in God. I'm all yours. It spurred on a renewed commitment to build God's church. Let me ask, is anyone in need of a fresh encounter with a living, breathing God? See, the point of all of these, whether it was in a worship service, listening to a teacher teach God's word, whether it was in a group of other people exploring what it meant to follow Jesus or, or reading the Bible myself, all of those encounters became the motivation to pray send me. See, they became the fuel to go and do more with what God had given me to do. They inspired godly purpose, meaning and direction. Without those, I would have just drifted aimlessly. And it wasn't for my sake, my comfort, but it's for the sake of others, where true purpose is found. So ask yourself, where and how are you most likely to encounter God? And then do whatever it takes to get there. 
Today, you are in church. Way to go. You have put yourself in the very best place to encounter God. Others of you encounter God by reading the Bible, by praying, serving the poor, serving the church, being in a small group. That's why we're so passionate about those things here. You will encounter God there. So figure out your very best opportunities to encounter God and then go there consistently. You will pray this prayer only if you encounter God first. Okay, so that's the first thing to pray in this dangerous prayer. Second, going on with Isaiah, this dangerous prayer requires an awareness of sin. So Isaiah continues on with this encounter. He says, it's all over. After encountering God, he says, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yeah, I have seen the king the Lord of heaven's armies. See, Isaiah is in the presence of a perfect, sinless God. When all of the sudden he becomes aware of how much his life is filled with sin. Notice the words that he uses. Doomed. Filthy. Inadequate. Have you ever had a moment where you're around someone and you suddenly become aware of how inadequate you are? Let me just give you an example. Maybe you're out to dinner with someone. And hypothetically, let's say you ordered a burger stuffed with bacon, topped with onion strings, two layers of cheese, and a side of tater tots. I love tater tots. It's great. <laughs> and hypothetically, just a hypothetical situation, let's say this person you're with says to the waiter, you know what, I'll, I'll have a salad just lettuce, no dressing. I'll take a side of Brussels sprouts on a bed of organic kale. And suddenly you feel so inadequate that you ordered this burger stuffed with bacon. Or let's say you go to the beach with some friends. And when all of a sudden you realize that they've been working out all winter. And you haven't been. You feel so inadequate compared to them. Have you ever had a moment like that when you suddenly become aware of how inadequate you are? See, on a cosmic scale... That's what happens to Isaiah here. He's in the presence of a sinless God and he realizes how much his life is filled with sin. But see, it's more than just feeling inadequate. It's being aware of that sin so you don't return to it the next time. Marley, our little girl, she's one and a half now. She's the sweetest thing. Maddox is our five-year-old son. I love him. I really do. He's a great kid, but, he, but he's a brute, you know? And I, this, this daughter, Marley, I just love her differently. She's this tiny little bundle of joy and laughter, and, and I want to care for her. I mean, isn't she cute? Come on. <laughs> I want to care for her. I want to protect her. I want to cuddle her. She might be a bride and a wife someday when she turns 50 when I let her be. Last winter, I was watching both kids by myself, and I had built a fire downstairs. Emily had rehearsal at church or something. So with the fire going, I thought to myself, I'm just going to run into the room right next, the room right over across from where our fire was built. I'm going to grab the laundry out of the dryer. Now, this is dad mistake number one. As a dad watching the kids by yourself, never try to accomplish anything other than keeping your kids alive. So that was my first mistake. <laughs> 
But I had this thought. Marley was just starting to learn how to crawl at the time. She was nine months old. She could barely move. She was occupied with something. And so I just thought, okay, I'm going to sprint in, grab the clothes out of the dryer, and come back. When I was in the laundry room, I heard a loud squeal and cry. So I rushed back in, and there was Marley sitting right next to the fire. See, the doors had been shut, but Marley had put her hands on those doors. After a few hours, her hand looked like this. Take a look. This picture. I know. All right. But thankfully, after a visit to the ER and a friendly reminder from my wife, Emily, to never leave our kids alone by the fire again or just go ahead and jump in yourself, uh, <laughs> thankfully, her hand is back to normal now. But here's the point. Marley is now fully aware of that fire. She knows she can't touch it again or she's gonna get burned. And in the same way, Isaiah is now fully aware of his sin. He knows that he can't touch it anymore or he's gonna get burned. But see, he needs someone else. He needs God, someone greater than himself to remove that sin permanently. In fact, we all need God's help. So look at what happens next. In this vision encounter, Isaiah says, then one of the seraphim, these angelic beings, it flew to me with a burning coal they had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. There's a lot of imagery happening in the scripture passage. But see, Isaiah sees an angelic being in this vision touch his lips with a burning coal. Why? It signified the burning away of his sin. God removes the guilt and forgives our sins. See, that's what God can do. That's why Jesus lived and died. So he can remove the guilt and forgive those sins. That burning coal, it serves as a reminder for what God can and will do for every single person. But have you ever stopped to consider how much sin God may have to forgive in your life? Have you ever stopped and just, just counted all the sins, all the lies, the self-centeredness, the impure thoughts, the greed, the anger? I mean, if I had started counting three weeks ago, I would still be going. That's the truth. That's how much sin God has had to forgive and has to forgive in my life. But see, when you become aware of just how vast your sins truly are, you soon realize that you are in desperate need of a God who is greater than those sins that can remove the guilt and forgive them for all of eternity. But I do wonder, there are maybe some of you here who've, who've never really considered how much sin there might be in your life. That's not to make you feel bad. I don't even blame you because if you haven't encountered God, how would you ever know? Or maybe some of you are wondering how close you can get to that fire, how close you can get to that sin without truly burning yourself. Maybe some of you have never confessed your sins and asked God to forgive you, which he will do instantly. God is faithful and just. He forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Or maybe some of you just need a reminder, a fresh reminder of how much God has forgiven in your life. 
wherever it is you are at, the people who are most likely to pray this prayer like Isaiah are the people who live with an awareness of their sin. So how aware are you of that sin? Up until this point, we talked about to pray this prayer, you gotta have a fresh encounter with God. You gotta live with an awareness of your sin. And third and finally, like Isaiah, you gotta have a willingness to go. Isaiah says this, I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. So interesting to me about this exchange. So Isaiah's the only person in the room. I don't know for sure, but I gotta imagine he did one of these like, <laughs> are you talking to me? I mean, maybe even stumble back for a second. Like, are, are you sure? <laughs> but it's after an encounter with God and an awareness of how much sin God has forgiven in his life, I can imagine he, he steps into this question, maybe cautiously at first, but then with some boldness and some courage, he says, okay, he, here I am. Send me. Send me to do whatever it is you want me to do. Send me wherever you want to send me. Here I am, send me. Here's the thing, and so important for us to understand. God wasn't asking Isaiah to go someplace else. He was asking Isaiah to go back to the very people and the very place he'd already put him. This last summer, I saw a story of a man at the Global Leadership Summit. It's a conference we host here at Eagle Brook. A story of, of a man who's living this out so well. I want you to see in this story how he goes back to the very place, the very people that God had already given him, to his context. Now it's unique, he's in the military, so he has to consider all of those things. But in his context, God asks him to love just a little bit more, to lead a little bit more like God wants him to lead, to serve and care for the people that God has entrusted to him. So with that being said, I want you to see the story of Mark and imagine how this can apply to your situation and context. Take a look. The United States Air Force fighter pilots are the most laser-focused, passionate people you'll ever meet. If your reaction time is off by less than half a second, it is a life or death situation. They have to be that good. My job is to teach Air Force pilots the art and science of being a fighter pilot. When I got into the Air Force, the goal was I'm gonna be the best fighter pilot on the planet. And then I started looking to people that I worked with. They're really good at flying the jet and instructing, but some of them are in a very broken state. When somebody develops you in the military, they focus on the career progression. And that didn't allow for growth in other areas and the overall growth of human being. We see it time and time again in our community. People are so good at being a fighter pilot, but they're missing these other critical elements. 
I was jazzed when I got this assignment. I thought this would be an opportunity to change. We could do things better. Our most precious commodity is not this, this jet. It is that wingman, and it's you, you the instructor pilot, and it's your family. And if we don't take care of that wingman, that instructor pilot, and if we don't develop them, then we failed. So we went right after the flight commanders. And we said, we are gonna make you a better fighter pilot, a better instructor, a better husband, a better father. I'm gonna make you a better leader. That is what we're gonna do over the next two years in the 435th. This message resonates with Air Force leadership. They wanna know how we're doing this. What is the model? His role is not in making sure that we're doing the mission. That's the director of operations job. That's his second in command job. His job is to lead the squadron. His job is to build the Air Force's next great leaders. He asked me the first time we met is, do you care? And at first I'm like, well, of course I care. But if you think a little more deeply into that question, if someone cares, you can work with them on anything else. And I think the first step in caring about something is you have to have something that's bigger than you. And Kaiser definitely has something in his life, his faith, that's bigger than him that drives him. And it has had a tremendous impact on our squad and the fact that he lives that out. My faith is everything. It's who I am. And I know you're not allowed to go ahead and preach your one religion. And as weird as it sounds, I kind of like the policy. Stop talking about it. Live it out. Live it out the way you lead, the way you teach, the way you treat other people. Our wingmen will not remember anything that I have taught them on basic fighter maneuvers. They won't remember that five years from now. But they will remember how they felt around me. They will remember, I felt inspired by this commander. I felt like he cared about me. And I knew if I didn't meet an expectation, he was going to make me better because he loved me. See, what I love about that story is that Mark took it seriously to be sent right back to the very place that God had put him. He didn't ask him to move to a remote village in Africa. He could have. He didn't ask him to become a pastor. could have. He didn't do anything weird. He simply did something more with what God had already given him. In the military, he couldn't preach that one religion. And maybe for you, you do need to use words. But whatever it is you do, and maybe it, you are an Air Force pilot. Maybe you're a mechanic, truck driver, engineer, stay-at-home mom or dad, doctor or dentist, student. Whatever it is you do, and wherever it is you live, God has given you a unique set of people and circumstances, and he's looking around, he's saying, whom am I gonna send to bring this message of hope and love to these people? You may not think you have enough talent. You might not think you have the pedigree or the spiritual authority, but I want you to understand something that is so important. God cares more about your willingness than your ability. God's not gonna wait for the talented to become available. He's gonna use whatever abilities you might have if you are simply willing to go. So what person? What place, what situation does God want to send you? 
There are people in your life who need what only God can provide. They need to know there is a better way to live. That there is a God who loves them. What if you are the person that God wants to send to those people? In fact, this is so important. I want to give just five seconds to let God bring someone or something to mind. Where does God want to send you? Ask God and let him bring someone or something to mind. Psalmist writes this, I will call on you, my God, for you will answer me. And as we conclude this Dangerous Prayers series, I wanna ask you, do you believe this? Because I do. I believe that if you ask God to send you, that he will. I mean, who else is going to go to the people that you've been given, the work you already work at, the place that you've already been put, the circle of influence that God has already given you? Will you say to God, don't send anyone else, send me. Here I am. Send me to my home. Send me to be the best mom or dad that you've called me to be. Send me to lead my family in godly ways. Send me to be the most faithful and present and loving son or daughter, brother or sister, mom or dad, husband or wife that you've called me to be. Who else is gonna go to my home? Send me. Will you say to God, send me to my work? There are colleagues who are struggling in their marriages with no one to talk to. They are hopeless. There are coworkers who've never been treated with compassion and integrity. There are people in your sphere of influence who are dying in their sin. Who else is going to go? Say to God, send me. I will love those people the way you want me to love them. Send me to my church. I will serve. I will hold babies, doors, cameras. I will start a small group. I will build community. I will invest in the next generation. I will lead small groups of young men and young women. Do you know there are people in this church, young people who do not have any godly influences in their home? What if you are supposed to be that person? Say to God, I will do whatever it takes to build God's church. Send me. Send me into my community. Our communities are fractured and broken. Say to God, send me to my neighbors. Send me to the neighborhood where I live. Send me into my community to bring hope and love. Send me to partner with our local partners and into the margins of our society, into homeless shelters, onto the streets, into the prisons, to the poor and needy among us. Just say to God, send me to my community. I will love, I will start, I will go, send me. I will bring this message of hope and love, even if it leads me outside of my comfort zone. I will bring this message to the people who occupy my world. God is saying, whom will I send? And will you say to God, Here I am, 
send me. God, send me. I'll give you whatever abilities I might have. I will bring this hope and love. Say to God, here I am. Send me. As you leave today, we're gonna give you a blank card that says dangerous prayers on it. It's got that verse that God will answer you on the back. My challenge to you is this, write out a prayer, search me, change me, send me, and then pray it every day. See what God will do if you are willing to pray these dangerous prayers. And as we conclude, we're all gonna stand in just a moment. But as we stand to pray, will you just say quietly in your own spirit, God, here I am, send me. Because we are a bold and courageous and dangerous crew. So across all six campuses, let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, I'll be the first to say, here I am. Send me whatever talents and abilities that you've given me, I wanna use for your glory, for your kingdom. God, I wanna build your church. I wanna bring your message of hope and love and peace and joy. It's a little scary because I don't know how you're always gonna answer it. But God, send me. And for everyone here, I pray that you give us a dose of courage so that we can step into this assignment that you've given all of us to bring hope and love wherever we go, into our communities, into our church, into our workplaces, into our families. Send us, God, we are here. Use whatever we have. We offer it to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks everyone. If you'd like prayer, come down front for prayer. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.